Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We started reviewing case studies of people who meditated. Up to now, I've been teaching you meditation by precept or by principle. Now, we want to do it by people, right? By case study, by looking at an individual in the Bible that actually did meditate with very powerful, positive results. The first recorded incidence of meditation in the Bible is Isaac, right? I'm sure Abraham and others did meditate. I'm talking about the record. Um, that, that Isaac, the Bible says, went out at eventide into a field, and there he meditated. He lifted up his eyes, and he saw camels coming. And the next verse says, and Rebekah saw him, and uh, she lifted up her eyes, and she dismounted and came toward him. So the servant was sent out by his father to locate a bride for him. The servant spends many days looking for a bride. He ultimately finds Rebekah, the bride-to-be, and he's returning home with this bride. Isaac is waiting for the answer to his prayer. Right? And uh, in waiting, as Jamie rightly says, the Bible says, at eventide, at evening time, he goes out and he agars, mutters, soft tones under his breath. The employment of the mind was reflected in the utterance of the, of the mouth. Meditation is not just an activity of thought. It's an utterance of the mouth. What you say in the mouth is a reflection of the activity of the mind. That's the Hebrew understanding of biblical meditation. You and I today just think. But when they thought, they muttered their thoughts softly under their, under their breath. So I can picture Isaac who is given to concentrated meditation at a specific point in time. You will, we are expected to meditate day and night. Joshua 1.8 and Psalm 1.3 will tell you that. Meditate on the word day and night. And day and night implies consistency. So um, it doesn't mean that, for example, when you're working, that you must now leave your work and start uh, meditating on Scripture and not be faithful to what you are called to do. Right? No, it doesn't mean that. Day and night simply means... That one's mind is so plowed. Remember the image of plowing Joseb? One's mind is so irrigated with biblical truth. That biblical truth determines every decision and behavior pattern of yours at any one point in time. Because that is your GPS. That is the principle that guides you, that fuels you. It's, it's the fact that your mind measures your life. The mind soaked in meditation determines the course of one's life. So we should always be meditating, but um, cons- when meditation becomes a lifestyle to the point where almost even subconsciously you're doing it without even actively knowing how meditating. You know, you can get to the place where you're meditating without even knowing that you're meditating because you're doing it so often, so regular, so consistent. It's now become part and parcel of who you are. Right? But having said that, though, there is still the necessity, I believe, for you to carve out in your time, times and seasons of more concentrated thought regarding various issues in your life, God's ways, God's word, uh, God's plans for your life. And the Bible says, seemingly when you read this, I, I envisage the man carving out time towards the end of a day, at evening. He goes out where? Away from his tent, goes into a field, the Bible says, and he agars, he meditates. And it's interesting, I just love the imagery. And he meditated, and the Bible says he lifted up his eyes and he saw camels coming. I mean, have you seen your camels coming? <laughs> right? The meditated mind is the enlightened mind. Ephesians 1.18 talks about the eyes of your understanding. And the eyes of one's understanding 
are lifted up eyes in the process of meditation. In other words, meditation affords you spiritual sight that otherwise you would not ordinarily have. So he meditated and he lifted up his eyes. How do I lift up my eyes as a son of God? How can I elevate to see the things that God has given to me? How do I elevate, listen carefully, to see the things that are trying to locate me? The Bible says, he lifted up his eyes. Next verse, he saw camels, did not see Rebecca. Everyone say he saw camels. Not Rebecca. Well, I don't know who was on there. Must have, been, must have been at a distance. Saw camels coming. His father's servant, Abimelech, probably coming with the answer to his prayer. And the Bible says, next verse, and Rebekah saw him. He lifted up his eyes in meditation. Next verse, and she lifted up her eyes, saw him and dismounted. So the answer to your prayer is trying to locate you, but it will only find you if you have lifted up eyes. An expectation to see a mind meditated upon the word to behold what God is bringing to you. And then just on Wednesday, the Lord took us off on a detour. Genesis 13 says that after Lot separated from Abram, the Lord said to Abram, now lift up your eyes and look north, south, west, east for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your descendants for, for forever. And the lifted up eyes there literally means to possess in the mind. So Abraham wasn't on a high mountain to see the world. Because when God said to him, look north, south, east, west, all the land you see I will give to you and to your descendants, God was not talking about Palestine or natural Israel that he needed to see. God was literally talking about the whole globe. Because you and I are his descendants. We come from the line of Abraham. So God was saying to him, even so, uh, a commentators tell us where he was, was in a depression. So he wasn't on some mountain where he could have this panoramic view of, 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 a, of a large area. So the lifting up, when God said to Abraham, lift up your eyes and see north, south, east, west, or the land you see, I will give. See, ra'a, or look, ra'a, literally is to have possession in the mind also. Is to see with one's perspective. What Abraham is to envisage is sons of God displaying the glory of God all over the world. Right? Now, if we marry the two portions, how do I lift up my eyes? I lift up my eyes in the process of meditative thought. Um, previous verses, and Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw the plains of the Jordan were well watered everywhere. And he made a choice based on his natural sight, and he positioned his tent towards Sodom. And he chose the best place based upon natural perspective. But he lifted up his eyes. Next verse. Now the Lord said to Abram, now you lift up your eyes. The one man's lifting up the eyes was self-induced. Abram's lifting up the eyes was in response to a command of God. And I said to you, I feel prophetically, maybe in the history of this church, in seasons past, years past, that maybe there has been lifting up the eyes self-induced not out of carnal motivation like lot but simply out of pure zeal to see and to get things done but now i hear the lord saying differently now i just felt on on wednesday strong prophetic burden a word from the lord saying now i'm commanding you to lift up your eyes so the lifting up of the eyes in in response to a very clear command of the Lord, look from the, what did God say to Abraham in Genesis 30? Let me quote the verse to you. And the word of the Lord, now after Lot separated from Abraham, the word of the Lord came to him saying, Abraham, lift up your eyes from the place where you are. The word place is mokom, which literally means the condition of the mind or body. You look, in other words, your condition will determine how far you see. Look from your present state, look from your condition and see. You know what we're doing through these meditative studies or these studies on meditation? We are changing the condition of our minds. I really believe God is preparing. He's saying, change your present state for you can never see further based upon what you are. Okay? So I really believe we are in preparation for sight that we've, and to see things we've never yet seen.
or yet embraced. Amen? And then, okay, we looked on at a few other principles there. Um, just to quickly rehearse the other examples, we went on to Joseph's meditation, which was a powerful, powerful example. Oh, by the way, just, I just have this in my spirit to remind us of. Rebecca represented a wife, not so? A strategic covenantal joining. All right? Um, and I feel God is saying to us, sons in this house, lift up your eyes because I'm going to bring strategic alliances to you. I'm going to give you friends that are going to change your destiny forever. I will give you even business partners that will change the structure and everything forever. This is a word for all of us. Lift up your eyes and see camels coming. Lift up your eyes and see, you know, camels speak of transportation eh? uh, uh, and, and, and the burden. Camels also have the capacity to bear huge load, you know, wealth and resource. So they represent transport. But it wasn't goods that were on this camel. It was a person that was on this camel. A person that's going to give birth to twins, to Jacob and Isaac. And from Jacob's going to come a structure of a nation. So what he was asking, Jacob and Esau, sorry, what, 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 what Rebekah represented in terms of this joining wasn't just simply a desire for a wife. It was a strategic alliance that was going to bring structure to contain the vast global purposes of God. And I want to prophesy of us, get prepared to see a camel come to you not with maybe wealth as you expect, but the wealth that's going to be represent is going to be represented in a person, a strategic joining that God's going to bring to us, that's going to provide structure to your life. That structure is going to be the container of much that will facilitate the development of God's global purpose. Okay, that is the prophetic word to us. And then I shared with you prophetically from Second Kings. Um, 24, I think it is. Let me get the verse. First Kings 22, verse 34, if you want the reference. First Kings 22, 34. How that a man, the Bible says, a man drew an arrow and shot it at random. The context was, Prophet Micaiah told King Ahab not to go to battle. Against prophetic advice, he does still, do, uh, still, still go. In an attempt not to, for, to preserve his life and for him not to be a casualty in the war, he takes off his kingly garb and he disguises himself as an ordinary soldier. Knowing that uh, in battle, if you, had, if you are the king, obviously you'll be a target. right? So he disguises himself as an ordinary uh, soldier. One man from the opposing team, the, team, the opposing army, um, not aiming for anybody. The Bible says he just took his arrow and he, he shot. The guys are fighting. and This could have got even one of his own. But he drew a random arrow and he just shot into the air and the arrow hit King Ahab and a kink in his armor. So the man was fully clad as an ordinary uh, soldier and there was a little opening and the arrow got that point. The word random there, literally in the Hebrew means, everyone say random. So picture this. Thing flies in the air. Whole battlefield, all guys fighting. He finds the king at his most vulnerable, vulnerable place in his armor. Right? And the prophecy comes to pass. Right? And the word random there means tome. It literally means integrity. Everyone say integrity. Maybe this is for you, Leo. You, your company is called Integrity Solutions. Tome. Next time somebody asks you, what's the name of your come and say to a man? <laughs> right? In other words, a man, and, and, and integrity is a vast study. Uh, there are two nuances. One is honesty, rectitude, transparency, all of that, as we know trans what integrity is. But the other uh, semblance of the word is wholeness, roundness, wholesomeness, fullness, health. So a man shot an arrow in the integrity of his heart. And God caused it to find its target. If you do something out of integrity, even randomly, the random action becomes a strategic development. You're not thinking any much from what might come from this. 
all you're doing for you is taking a chance, but for God is directing your footsteps. Amen. So get ready for that random coffee date to turn out into some strategic development. Get ready. I'm, I'm thinking now in terms of, of Isaac, the guy goes out, he meditates, answers to his prayers coming. The meditated mind is the mind poised to receive the answers. Right? And a strategic development comes to him, Rebecca, that's going to give structure and momentum to his life. Amen? And this is going to cause great development. By the way, where was Isaac meditating? The place where he was meditating is called Bir Lahi Rohi. Say it with me, Bir Lahi Rohi. It means that the name of that place was given, that, was given by Hagar. Remember? She fled and the Lord met her and the Lord says, Don't worry, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of the boy. You'll also be a mighty nation, Ishmael. Right? Although he'll be, uh, his hand will be on the neck of many men. It could have been prophesied there. Uh, but I'll take care. I'll provide. She says, I call this name of this place Beer Lahi Rohi. Because she says, I have seen the one who sees me. Repeat after me. I have seen the one who sees me. I want to encourage you, whenever you come to a place where even sometimes you can't bear it and you feel like you're in flight mode, like Hagar, you flee. And you come to the realization, the Bible says, beer is, what does beer mean? Not, 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 not beer, beer. (laughs) Beer, Hebrew beer. Uh, B-E-E-R, means well, like Beersheba, words. Any, Any word in scripture starting beer means well of. Or spring of, right? And the Bible says this was in a wilderness. She found the spring. And she called the name of that place, Bir Lahirohi, which translated means, I have seen the God who sees me. Right? Whenever you are at the end of yourself, I want to encourage you, relax and rest in the knowledge that, the God, that God sees you. But his problem is, You need to see him who sees you. She said, I have now seen the one who is seeing me, watching over my life consistently. You know, the meditated mind is the mind at rest because no matter what its present circumstances, it rests in this knowledge. My entire life is under the oversight of God. So I don't need to fret. I don't need to worry. God will come through. God will come through. Amen. Um, I have seen the one who sees me. Let me just demonstrate this again. Um, I did some, uh, some background into Hebrew lettering. And Hagar, remember Hagar? Hagar is the primary word translated meditate. It means to ponder, to reflect, but to, to mutter in soft undertones under one's breath the thoughts of one's mind. Hagar, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, Joshua 1.8. But thou shalt Hagar, Joshua, thou shalt Hagar. Someone, blessed is the man, doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, sit in the seat of the scornful, stand in the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he doth Hagar. He doth mutter under with his voice in soft undertones, the activity of his mind, the law Day and night. Right? But if you write this in Hebrew, it looks like this. It's like this. See, I've been practicing. I think I'll make a good Hebrew scholar. That is Hagar. That's how I would look. Um, and this is, this is the same as that. It's called Hey. Everyone say Hey. The letter, this is the fifth letter of the alphabet, Hey. And this here is Gimel. I think it's about like that. So, and you read Hebrew from right to left. So this is Hagar. This is how we'll look to a Hebrew. Five, fifth letter. Five is the number of? Grace. Everyone say grace. So this, this both represents grace. Everyone say double Grace. So to the Hebrew mind, when he sees all of this, and uh, it's amazing, a lot of the websites I went over, they give 
the explanation both to the numerical symbolic interpretation of the letter as well as the corresponding picture. Now, every letter in the Hebrew got a numeric value um, and it's also got a corresponding picture. The picture for Gimel, this is the third letter, by the way, in the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew corresponding uh, picture for this is a camel. Hmm? What does, he, what does John 1 says? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. We beheld His glory full of grace and truth. The Word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. Of His fullness we have received grace, or the other way if you write Hebrew, grace upon grace. It's like grace is transported to you in the process of meditation. Right? So to the, when the Hebrews see this, you know, our English really loses so much. But to the Hebrew mind, when he sees this, and you tell, you, if you tell a Hebrew scholar or a Hebrew person, meditate, I can just say meditate. To, to them, they see all of this, and they know exactly what's going to happen when they do this. They know they are positioning themselves for the reception of more grace. Right? And I am what I am by the... By the grace of God. As a man thinks, so, so easy. So Isaac went out into the field to Hagar. And he lifted up and he, his eyes and he saw what coming. Well, in these cases it was literal. He saw camels coming. Transporting the grace that he needs. His wife. As an answer to his prayer. Then we looked at Joseph. Okay. We looked at Joseph. And remember Joseph... Okay, I'm not going to go too long by rehearsing Joseph. Joseph, the, the father of Jesus, um, was mindful to put Mary away because she comes to him and said, Joe, how is it? How are you? Um, I'm pregnant. And Joe knows we've, we've not had sexual intimacy. And the baby is actually of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says he was mindful to put her away privately. He was a righteous man, didn't want to embarrass her or shame her. But the next verse says, but while he meditated, while he thought, while he considered, what happened? In a dream, the angel said. So this man meditates, and his meditation was the last activity before he sleeps. And so the, his mind is saturated on, on a word or on circumstances surrounding his life. And the angel says, fear not. So what was Joseph's biggest problem? Fear. Fear not to take Mary thy as thy wife. For the child born in her is of the Holy Spirit. You will call his name Jesus, for he's going to save his people from their sin. He could have forfeited such powerful privilege of raising the Son of God in his home. And how many times you and I make mistakes? Because we make decisions prematurely, without bringing the matter under the eye of God. Okay? Joseph could have messed up something so powerful. Okay? Joseph was also from the tribe of Judah. Mary's wife, Mary's husband, sorry. Please. Mary's husband had to be from Judah. And Joseph was the candidate. Right? His meditation prevented him from a wrong action. God intervened in a dream. Right? And I really feel, listen carefully, this house is going to steward great aspects of God's global purpose. God's going to give us stuff to raise from infancy to maturity. But you and I have got to be people um, who excel in the culture and the practice of meditation. A third example, in similar to Joseph, was Peter. Sees a vision, arise Peter, the sheet falls down, kill and eat. Happens three times. God says, uh, he says, I can't kill that and eat that which is unclean. Jesus said, um, how dare you call unclean that which I have sanctified as clean. That was the vision. Next verse. While Peter considered, de enthumiomai, the Greek, while Peter earnestly revolved it over and mulled it over and over in his mind. The Spirit said. The Spirit always speaks to the meditated mind. 
Right? When did the Spirit speak to Joseph, even in his dream? He says, while he thought the Spirit says. Um, the, in terms of Peter, it says, while he thought the Spirit said. Right? Behold, three men are downstairs looking for you. Who were those three men? From Cornelius' house. Unclean Gentiles. Right? So, and uh, I spoke at great length. I don't want to rehearse that because of time. I spoke at great length as to the timing of the Lord. As to the, the timing of the Lord. Okay? When the men from Cornelius' house, God first talks to Cornelius via a vision. Go look for the house of one called Simon the Tanner in the city of Joppa. Remember? Go and inquire from him. So Cornelius' men go to the city of Joppa. Think of the coincidences, the seeming coincidences. They are this. At the time that the men come into the city, from wherever Cornelius stayed, the Bible says, and Peter fell into a trance and he saw this. And then he sees it and he begins to, the Bible says he meditates. And the scripture says, now he comes out of his trance, and the Bible says, before when he considered what this would mean, it says, and the men of Joppa were at his gate. So God was speak while God was speaking and dealing with Peter, God was already positioning the answer that he needed at his gate. So clarity comes. So that's what the Holy Spirit could say to Peter in a meditative condition. You want to know what these unclean animals that you refuse to kill and eat that I said you must means. The clarity was this. Three men are at your gate looking for you. And he goes downstairs and the, and the, the Spirit said to him, go with them. He goes downstairs, go to Cornelius' house. What happens there? Preaches the gospel. Whole house baptized in the Holy Ghost. Whole house baptized in water. And who was Cornelius? Who was he? What kind of stature? What was his occupation? A Roman centurion officer. Was he a man of influence? Do you think that because he got saved, many others would have gotten saved? I think you touch a man of influence of that stature. So this was a key appointment. And you know what? It could have fallen or succeeded simply based on one thing. A man chose to meditate over something he couldn't make sense easily. It was difficult for him to comprehend. And you know what? God was dealing with both uh, Cornelius' uh, the will of, for Cornelius' life, but also in Peter's life. Because Peter was a racist at heart. I know that from Galatians. Not racist in a bad sense. But he had this predisposition um, toward the Jews. And he, he, he tended to shrink back from Gentile involvement. Right? Remember in Galatians 2, he says that certain high, the Bible says certain high-ranking Jews, not Jews, Jews, were coming down from Jerusalem to Galatia, right? And the Bible says, Peter, for fear of them, withdrew from sitting and eating with Gentile Christians for fear of them. Right? So he changed, and he, he, you know, if anybody, he actually said, after he visits Cornelius' house, for now I know God is no respecter of persons. If anybody should have that the issue of racism extracted from him would have been Peter. But he proves through time. This is in Acts 10. Galatians 2 happened years later. Paul was so angry with him. Paul says, when I saw this, I publicly rebuked Peter to his face. Right? And the Bible says, for he was to be, to be blamed. Paul's issue was, you're misrepresenting the message by your actions. Right? Are you misrepresenting the message by your actions? But coming back, I want to say this. Peter's meditation and God's clarity given to him was accomplishing more than the salvation of Cornelius, his house, and everybody within his sphere of influence. Peter's meditation was also dealing with issues in Peter's mind. Issues of uh, uh, discrimination of one group against another. You know, God's got a way of dealing with you, eh? 
God says, I know you don't like those people. I'll take you, I'll put you right in front of them, and you must now minister to them. <laughs> God has a way of dealing with you in his own way. This was God's, I, I think this was God's first dealings with Peter in terms of dealing with this issue within the man. You know, because when, if we're going to be used by God to minister to many people, we've got to have no, no any sense or trace of discrimination uh, within us at all. Right? We must be free from this completely and, and, and totally. Now, there are many other principles there that I want to go over. I want to just, because of the sake of time, just take 15 or 20 minutes to start talking about another example of meditation. And that's, for me, classic. It's David. So we looked at Isaac, Joseph, Peter, David. David was a king. He was a warrior, a husband, um, a poet, a songwriter. He wore many caps. He was multi-talented as a man. He was, he was also extremely handsome. So were all his sons. Right? I think I take off the David in many respects. <laughs> I'm just joking. You know, you couldn't lose the moment. No, that was a joke, please, brother. Don't go out there and say the man is proud. It was a joke. <laughs> um, and um, so, in any case, so he, he wore, his hands were full of responsibility. Um, he just had lots of things going on. He writes many psalms, and his psalms record his reflections. Many of the psalms were written from varied circumstances and conditions. Much of the psalms were written out of deep trial and severe testings, right? Some other psalms were written from the heights of great victories. And he would pen and he would write and compose his thought. By the way, songs are a very powerful tool of meditation, songs and many scriptures to prove that in fact i put this i want to go to that now because of time but uh, in the final note and meditation you will get when it's ready it's almost half done it's quite thick um i put it as an appendix there's a lot of appendices here to this final note simply because this there's there are items or issues of meditation i won't have time to teach but they're here recorded for your own reflection and you will see how many times in the scripture the bible links song with with meditation and David employed this methodology, and he would, he, would, he would record his thoughts in song and sing them and sing them to the Lord, right? So what we will do quickly, we'll start to look briefly at some psalms in which he said something about meditation, and we infer that this was the culture of his, of his life. The classic is Psalm 1, obviously, right? Psalm 1 is the first of the psalms. Um, I believe it was written by David, although the authorship is not too certain. It's, no, it's not usually on the top of each psalm. You, it identifies the author. Um, some scholars believe Solomon wrote Psalm 1 uh, because of the pattern similar to the book of Proverbs. Um, but the style of writing for me is very Davidic. Also, the first 41 psalms are attributed to David. The whole book of Psalms is divided into five separate books. The first book is composed of Psalm 1 to Psalm 41. They call it the first book of the Psalms. David wrote all of those. right? And so I, I feel that this Psalm is Davidic and is attributed uh, to him. Uh, psalm 119 also has got no author appended to it. You won't, you won't find who wrote Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is the longest Psalm. It's got 176 verses. Right? It's longer than some books in the Bible. And it's, it's, um, the, the psalmist there pours out his estimation, his devotion, his obedience, and the degree to which the word of the Lord is the subject of his thought. Right? Isn't some, I, think some, I think no one will ever come close to Psalm 119. You attempt right now to take your pen and to extol the virtues of God's word, like the psalmist did. Right? I, I really believe it's David. Right? And um, I, I did some research from a particular rabbi who proved in his estimation that it's Davidic, 
and it's also appended to your note if you want to study that. Right, I gave you the website link as well. But let's just look at Psalm 1. How blessed is the man, if you want to turn there, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the law. And in his law he doth meditate day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Yield its fruit in his season. His leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, excuse me, prospers. In whatever he does, he prospers. Now many people claim, verse 3, whatever I'm going to do is going to prosper. But you can't claim verse 3 without living verse 1 and 2. Verse 2 says, talks about delight. Everyone say delight. And I've been encouraged you to love God's word. You must delight in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he does what? He meditates consistently. Verse 1, if you want to just summarize verse 1. Verse 1 talks about a lifestyle of obedience. Everyone say, sit, walk, stand. So, blessed is the man doesn't walk in ungodly counsel. Stand in the way of sinners. And sit amongst those who sit in judgment and scoff everybody else. You are blessed if you are that man. I'm going to say it again. Don't stand in the way. Way is direct. Lifestyle of sinners. Right? Don't sit with those that pass judgment and scoff and talk and scandal about everybody else. The, everyone say the seat. The image for seat in the Bible is always judgmental. Someone sits in judgment over another. So to sit amongst the seat of scoffers is to sit in company where everybody else is the subject of your conversation. And you're passing judgment or views about those people. The Bible says don't do that. So I don't stand in the way of sinners. I don't sit amongst the seat in the seat of scoffers. And then it says, I don't sorry, walk in ungodly counsel. In other words, um, I don't base my decisions upon counsel that comes from an ungodly source. Right? It's amazing how many people can listen to so many other voices. But if, if your spiritual father says this, it's disregarded. But the view of everybody else is accommodated. That's ungodly counsel. Now, everyone say blessed. Let me ask you, you, we don't even need to go to verse 2, 3, 4, and the rest of the psalm. If you can live in Psalm 1, verse 1, the rest of the whole book of psalms, up to Psalm 150, you will experience practically in your life. It's amazing how the psalmist and the whole book starts out. It starts with the blessed state of a man who is not walking in, in in, in counsel, in advice that is ungodly. It's a man that doesn't sit in a company of scoffers that judges and scandalizes everybody else. It's, it's a man who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, it says. Now listen carefully. To live that life of a lifestyle of total obedience, you're going to have to imbibe verse 2. But his delight is where? In the Law of the Lord, and in His law He does what? Meditate day and night. I think of it like this. If, you're, if you really love the Word of God, eh? your delight is in the Word, and your delight is reflected by your meditation. You will never meditate upon that which you don't love. You've got to love the thing to meditate on the thing. Meditation for many will be a struggle, and a drudgery, and hard, simply because you don't value the subject of your meditation. I can't meditate on that which is not a delight to me. Right? Meditation itself must be pleasurable. You love meditating. Don't say, oh, it's time to meditate. Oh. No. You're missing the point. This is the thing you long for. This is... You can't wait to employ the mind. 
There's a lovely psalm I found, psalm, just as, a, as a correlation. Psalm 104 verse 34. The psalmist said this, My meditation of him shall be sweet, and I will be glad in the Lord. Your meditation mustn't be sour. <laughs> Your meditation must be a sweet, pleasurable experience. Okay? Must be a sweet, pleasurable experience. How many of you love the word of the Lord? Eh? You love meditating on his word. Now listen carefully. You will not walk in ungodly counsel, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of, the sco- of scoffers. If your delight is in God's word, and your delight is reflected by your meditation. Right? When I meditate, I prove to everybody how much I love God's word. Delight is in his law. Oh, by the way, the law is not the law of Moses. Don't think David's referring to the law culture and not the grace culture. Right? Because in Psalm 19, which is another favorite psalm of mine, where he pours out his love for the word and he, and he closes it by, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable. In Psalm 19, I think verse 7, David says, the law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Because what does it do to the soul? Converting or transforming the soul. The law of Moses could never do that. See, he's not referring to law-based Christianity. The term law of the Lord is a general reference to the, the power latent in the Scriptures. The entirety of the Scriptures. Right? So he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law. God's principles. This guy meditates day and night. Right? He meditates day and night. And the meditation is sweet. It's not a drudgery. I want to quote Psalm 119, verse 14 to 16. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Would be glad if I gave you a million rand right now. Would you rejoice? Will your mood change? Even slightly. At least smile. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Some will be over the moon, eh? David said this, I rejoiced in the way of your commandments or your word or your testimonies as much as in all riches. I meditate, the next verse, I meditate upon your precepts and I regard all of your ways. Next verse says this, I delight in your statutes and I shall not forget thy word. Repeat after me, I will not forget thy word. In, in session two, or session three, I told you, let me ask you this, when is God forgotten? Remember Deuteronomy 8? We, we, I think around about verse 11 or so. Thou shalt, let me quote it to you, Thou beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not obeying His commandments. Question, when is God forgotten? Whenever His commandments are disobeyed. God is forgotten Whenever his principles are not adhered to. David said this, I delight in your commandments and I will never forget your word. In the previous verse he said this, because I meditate on your statutes and I regard all of your ways. We will not dare to admit that we have forgotten God. If I ask you, have you forgotten God? You will say, no, I always remember him. No, what's the definition of God forgotten? Definition of God forgotten is when you disobey, when you have disobeyed Him, right? Now David says, "How can I come to the place where I don't forget God?" He says two things in this verse, Psalm 119, 14 to 16. He says, "I rejoice in your testimonies, like I found great riches. I meditate on your precepts, and I regard your ways." And then he said this, "I delight in your statutes, and I will not forget your word." So what keeps me from disobedience is delight in the word of the Lord that is evidenced by meditation. Evidenced by meditation. Think about this and, ask, and answer this in your mind. How often do you meditate on God's word? All of you answer me in your own mind. How often, I challenge you in the Lord this morning, how often do you meditate on God's word? In other words... In English, when we say, I've forgotten, what you're really saying is, I affected that thing out of my mind. So if I say, have you forgotten God? 
evidenced by disobedience. What meditation does, meditation factors God into the mind. It installs God and His principles into the mind so that you do not fall prey to a disobedient lifestyle. Now here's a verse you should note. Also another one of David. Psalm 4 verse 4. Please take it down. I want to quote this to you from the New King James. It's a powerful verse. David said this, Be angry! Now we'd like to stop and say, Yeah, whoa! The Lord has allowed us to be angry. Hallelujah! Couldn't wait for that to read that verse. Can't wait to obey this verse. <laughs> but the Bible says this, Be angry and do not sin. The point is this. Anger makes one more prone to sin. Anger itself might not be sinful, but it's not advisable. Neither is it commendable. But the state of anger makes one more easily susceptible to sinful acts, sinful decisions. Now, let's read the whole verse. Be angry and sin not. Listen carefully. Meditate within your heart upon your bed and be still. Right? Meditate within your heart upon your bed and be still. So what can, what can help me? Listen carefully. Let me ask you this first. Do you get angry? Anybody here get angry? Right? Okay, Morris says yes. <laughs> I hope you don't say it angrily. Right? We all get angry. Right? We all issues rile us. Some justifiably, some not, or not justified. Right? David talks about righteous indignation. You get angry for a righteous cause. Right? But the thing about anger needs to be managed. Because, you, like I said, you're prone to make the wrong decision, adopt the wrong viewpoint, behavior, etc. What David's encouragement and advice is this. He says, be angry but don't sin. So how are you not going to slide from anger into sin? He says, Hagar, meditate within your heart upon your bed. And be, and be still. Meditation placates the mind. Subsides the mind, douses volatile emotions, causes rest and ease to come to the, the man or the woman that is angered by some situation. And you are just about to embark upon an, a, a wrong decision which could land you in trouble with God because it will be called sin. Right? And so before you act prematurely, weigh your actions. I like this in the New American. It says, it says, tremble and sin not. Meditate, and some versions say, ponder within your heart upon your bed and be at rest and be still. Right? Otherwise, you can derail or defer destiny. Right? The general principle is this. Never ever make an important decision from the state of anger. Never do that. Take some time to cool off. Meditation helps you cool off. Meditation helps you weigh the intended action under the auspices or the oversight of God's revealed ways, word, his deeds, and his principles. So how is my private action going to, how does it align itself with everything God represents in his word and his person? So it helps me now to, uh, to adjust and to amend my ways. Your ways must be aligned to God's ways. So Isaiah 55. Your thoughts must be aligned to, to His thoughts. Okay? Now, in quickly, uh, in five minutes, quickly, Psalm 19. Everyone go there. Psalm 19 is a, uh, one of the powerful psalms. In the WhatsApp group, I said you must meditate on three psalms this week. Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119. Everyone say it with me. Psalm 1. Psalm 19, Psalm 119. Please, parents, insist upon your children to read those psalms. Let's read Psalm 19 together as we close. I won't say much about this. Just one or two things I want to, to focus on, and then we'll continue this um, next week. Oh, where's my copy? Oh, yeah. Right. The heavens. Everyone say the heavens. So when David writes this, he looks at the stars and the planets. He says, yo, check God. 
the heavens are telling me something about the, the glory of God. So he says, the heavens are telling of the glory of the Lord. Their expanse declares his works, the works of his hands. Day to day, they pour forth speech. In other words, the heavens and the created beings are speaking to me. That's why Romans 1 says, you are inexcusable, O man. Even those that haven't heard the gospel will be judged by the principle of the created order. They testify of God. Because the Bible says, everything made reveals the invisible God. So when David looks at the sky, he says, sure, check the glory of God. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. They speak, they, King James says, they pour forth speech day unto day. They are speaking. Night unto night, they reveal knowledge. Verse 3, there's no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line, what is the extremity of their reach? What's the influence of their sphere? Right? It says, David says, their line, their reach, is gone out throughout all the earth. Their utterance to the end of the world. In them, he has hidden a tent for the sun. So he looks into the, scar, the stars and the planets, the sun, and he, he says, wow, the capacity of all that God has created to reveal him and to speak to man. But he switches gear. That was, if you're driving a car, that's gear one. <laughs> now, it's time to shift gear because you can only go at a certain speed in gear, in gear one. So he switches in the psalm. Let's go to a higher order of something being having the capacity to show forth and reveal all that God is. Then he says this, and this is my favorite. The law of the Lord is perfect. In the next few verses, listen carefully. I'm going to read them with guts of because I love the song. Right? I'm going to read it like I wrote it. It's verse 7 to verse 9. Think about what you're going to hear in reference to what David just said. He's comparing two realms to reveal the power, its capacity to reveal God and to speak. Then he says, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is Pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring for ever. The judgments of the Lord are true, and they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, Everyone say, moreover. It's like he said, now everyone say, gear three. He says, you haven't heard me yet. He says, I can just feel his mood. He, I mean, who cannot be astounded and stand in awe at the brilliance of the heavenly bodies? I think at night he must have been writing this, looking up, sure, Father. Now, let me, let me, let me demonstrate this. Okay, with my harp, with some psalmist, feel looking up. Hey, check, check the sun. And he writes there, he has hidden a place in them for the sun. Look at the stars. The heavens declare your glory. Day unto day, the, the stars and the created order is speaking. There's no line um, where their voice is not heard. From one end of the earth, they go to the other end of the earth. Okay. But the law of the Lord. Think of his shift. His shift from sky to this book of the law. That is good, he's saying. But this, that cannot compare to what I'm seeing in the book. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the, the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. How many of you love God's word? Next, I'm going to challenge you, church, next time you open the book, Look at its splendor, its capacity to reveal everything about God to you. More than the brilliance of what you see in the created world. 
But now he, he says something very interesting. Everyone say, moreover. Then he says, and he's busy praying, extolling all the virtues of God's word. Eh? Law of the Lord, fear of the Lord, commandment of the Lord, statutes of the Lord are right. Then he says, moreover, by them is your servant warned. And in the keeping of them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me from my, all my hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be innocent or acquitted from great transgression. And he ends the psalm, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my rock or my strength and my, and my redeemer. David talks about three sins. I won't talk about them now because of time. He says, who can know his error? Deliver me from hidden, secret, from secret faults. Right? And then verse 13, keep me back from sinning presumptuously. Right? And what has got the capacity to do that? It's the word of the Lord. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And when I keep them, there is, there is great reward. And the word is the subject of his meditation. And when he meditates on the word, yes, he can know his error. Because the word will show you, the mirror of the word will show you where you have gone wrong. Right? Search me, O God, and try me. Know all my wicked thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a psalm that he wrote, Psalm 139. Now, just two verses, then we'll close. I want to leave with you. Take these down. I want to quote them. The one is Psalm 119, verse 59. I considered my ways and I turned my feet to your testimonies. There's something you must always ponder. David said, I ponder my ways. To what degree have you veered off from where God, you should have been? The word of God will show you that. David said, I considered my ways and I turned my feet back to your testimonies. Listen to the same verse in God's word translation. I thought about my life and I directed my feet back to your written instructions. I thought about my life. Can I encourage you to think about where you are? Remember when we did meditation subject, I said, you focus on the word, you focus on the ways of God, you focus on the deeds of God. What, and then Philippians 4, whatever things are pure, honest, of a good report, praiseworthy, think on these things. Then fifthly, I said, focus on your identity as the firstborn son of God. Now when you think about that fifth one, your identity as God's firstborn son, Think of the degree of veer, of error, of departure from that way. And say, God, I think about my ways and I turn my feet back to your testimonies. Right? You must always appraise where you are and turn your feet back to, your, to God's word. In fact, if you meditate on God's word, he will show you through, your, through his word how far you have gone off the path. Right? The message says it like this. I took a long, careful look at your ways and I got my feet back to the trail you blazed. No, I took a long, careful look at my ways and I got my feet back to the trail that you blazed. Got my feet back to the trail you blazed. Last verse, Proverbs 4.25-27. to 27. Verse 26 says, ponder the feet. Think about me. The word ponder means meditate. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Everyone say established. If you want your ways to be established, think about your life and return them back to the path that they should be on. I really believe this is a day of realignment, putting things back because there might be a degree of detour, distraction of the path you've yet off. Right? God is saying, no, come back to the place where you, you should be. Now, just quickly, 
Let me leave that. I want to leave a prophetic impression with you. I don't want to leave this for next week. I really feel that this is a prophetic impression. There is a concerted satanic attempt against many of you. I had a very vivid dream last night. It kept me up the whole night, and I woke a bit exhausted by the dream. And uh, I won't explain the, the, the context of the dream, but someone was attempting to use my credibility for financial gain in the dream. Right? And there was forgery of my signature on, on a document and on checks, etc. And um, the scenario in the dream was I was in the bank. And the person doing this, I was right behind the person in the queue. And I'm looking at the whole thing play itself out. And I call the bank manager aside. It's all in the dream. And I say, can I see you quickly? And before this gentleman leaves the building, uh, it was someone I didn't know. Um, it looked almost Arab-looking. And uh, I, I said to the bank manager, you know, this is someone's trying to, that's my signature on that. Uh, I know my signature. He's trying to use my sway to get, to get funds or whichever. And then, long story short, we both go out and confront him, and he rebels physically. Um, in the dream, I seemingly was stronger. Right? I arrested him to the ground and dragged him into a room. And the entire dream was me holding him down waiting for police to arrive because they were so late to respond to the request. So I felt exhausted, literally exhausted from holding this man down in the dream. And I woke up. It was so, it was so vivid, so real to me. right? And us arguing backwards and forwards and what's he going to do to me when he gets out, etc., etc. And when I woke up, I shared the dream with Renee. But I think, Lord, like Peter, you know, seeing the, 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 the sheet... I'm I'm your mind. Greek word for meditate. I'm saying, Lord, what doth, what doth this mean? I'm even talking King James. Maybe the Lord will hear me. Lord, what doth this mean? <laughs> you know? and, and the Lord said, um, in part, maybe some of you will have an impression, that I'm going to expose you. I will reveal to you those that attempt to discredit you, those that attempt to use your, your name for personal gain. Right? Those that misrepresent you. Um, and literally, there's an attempt to, to access your wealth. There's an attempt to access your riches. Right? And with literally no covenantal relationship. And then I read this. I included it in the notes. Listen carefully to the psalm. In the dream, it was, it was like an Arab sheikh, like a very rich, wealthy prince. And then this verse came to me. And I, I put it in the notes so I remember reading this in my initial research on the topic of meditation. Right? I have a separate document to all the ones I've given you. It's my research file. There are tons and tons of verses. And I read this verse. Psalm 119, a verse of David, verse 23. Even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. Right? Very powerful verse. I just felt encouraged by it. Even though princes sit and talk against me. And the talk here, you must look at it in, in the Hebrew, it's conniving, it's collusion, it's with an intent for your destruction. Scheming, wielding, and dealing to see you fail. David said this, even though, listen carefully, this is not ordinary people doing the discussion. This is a prince. This is a governmental official with tremendous power doing, conniving something. The Lord says, now David said this, even though I know that is happening, what is my disposition? I don't become thrown, dethroned, unseated, unsettled by that. Your servant just does what takes your statutes, but your servant is meditating on your statutes. In other words, never, and this is I want to encourage you, this is a word, I believe, not just for me. This is a word for many of you. Please believe me when I say that there are princes talking about you. There are people in top positions intent upon your destruction. I believe in terms of the dream, trying to access wealth that should be coming to you. Right? Be aware. Don't be, to use a colloquial, don't be doff in the spirit. Don't just walk around there. You're unaware what's going on. Be alert. Be, for your salvation is nearer than you, you think. So, but, this is not to scare anyone. Right? Although I woke up a bit perturbed, 
this verse encouraged me, don't be focused on that. Be focused upon meditating upon my, upon my word. God will take care of you. Amen. Don't worry about, about significant people contriving, conniving, intent upon your defeat. For some of you, it might be close colleagues at your workplace. I just see even my mind's eye in the spirit also. There's some, there's some, they are plotting and scheming in boardroom-like environments, right? But yet, the Lord says to you, my son, do not be phased. Simply, and do not let your mind be disoriented. Simply focus upon my word. Now, David had much against him, eh? and you know his life story. There were many plots and schemes against his reign throughout his lifetime. But he never, ever left the book of the law. It always was ever before him. And that was the source of his strength and his success. Amen? So turn to your neighbor and say, Even though princes talk against me, yet your servant meditates on your statutes. Amen. Just lift up your hands. Father, we just thank you. I pray your blessing upon us all. We are not perturbed, phased, unseated by the levels of warfare that we, we see in the Spirit. We ask, O oh God, that you would be with us. I thank you, O oh God, we will never lose focus upon the law, upon your word. And Father, I ask in Jesus' name that even in the dream, as there was an arrest of this attempt. May there be a stopping and arrest of every attempt designed against us in the name of Jesus. I declare that your people are blessed. Come and lift up your hand for the blessing. I declare that you are blessed in the name of the Lord. I declare the blessing of someone over you. It starts with the word blessed. Blessed is the man. I declare you are the blessed man because you don't walk in the way of sinners. Stand in the way of sinners. Walk in the seat uh, sit in the seat of scoffers, stand in the way of sinners. But your delight is in the law that speaks far more powerful things of God's nature than creation itself. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's able to convert your soul. Testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The commandment of the Lord is clean to you because it will enlighten your eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure. It's righteous altogether. Moreover, you'll be warned by what you read. And in keeping of them, you will find great reward. You will know your error. You will know your hidden faults. And you'll be kept back from arrogant or prideful sinning. Let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Not in men's sight, in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock, my strength, my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.